When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're now looking at being back three games of the Texas Rangers with a week to go with Mariners playing them four more times here at T-Mobile Park. But um, on the wild card, and we're starting a week where we were at pretty much all last week and uh, right before this weekend. So didn't lose any ground there. I mean, getting the help, still not helping themselves as far as getting the W's they need in the uh, win column. Um, Hanno, what's going on? How you feeling about this? Yeah, it wasn't an ideal series, but like you said, uh, still started or still ended up where we started off as far as the wild card. But, uh, yeah, disappointing series. Uh, things didn't go wrong, didn't get good starting pitching. Uh, the hitting came around late, um, if it did at all. And, uh, yeah, just rough. But, I mean – even though all of it happened, you still had a chance to win the game in the ninth, surprisingly. But uh, that really doesn't matter right now. You need wins. It doesn't matter to say how close we are. We're not in game 100 of the season. It's time to start winning and try to get in the playoffs. And this was a tough way to uh, finish out our last series on the road. But uh, we are still alive, like you mentioned. Got some unbelievably good play from the Kansas City Royals, who swept Houston and give us a more than better chance to hopefully make up for this last series and uh, win the last, I don't know, hopefully all seven, but uh, at least start winning the this first homestand against the uh, Houston Astros that are coming to town and reeling just like uh, our Seattle Mariners. Yeah, you got two teams coming off of sweeps. Uh, our sweep was by the division-leading Texas Rangers. Theirs was by 100 lost Kansas City Royals. But we know how tough those Royals can be over the last couple of years. You said another thing right there that sticks with me that makes so much sense. This happens a month ago, uh, even three weeks ago. Um, sometime in the season, you're like, all right, they went down there. They had a chance to win or were in the game. Made valiant comebacks, got really close, something to build on. It's not building time right now. It is uh, results. Uh, unfortunately, that's just where the Mariners have kind of put themselves in this month of September. You know, being 8 and 14, you, you're looking at this homestand and you're going, gosh, you have to win all seven of these games. You have to run the board to have a winning September. Pretty, uh, Pretty strange to think about that, the way they were playing there in August headed into this month. You look at it and you can look at the schedule here, or you can you can look back here at the schedule and kind of just add up where we're at right now. The Mariners only have two series wins this month, and they are against the Oakland A's and the Anaheim Angels, two organizations that are dumpster fires or a charred-out dumpster fire in, uh, in Oakland's case. Um, it doesn't look very good for you. No, I mean, we've beaten this down so much throughout this year on the podcast of early on the season, how they played what we thought was uh, problematic, 
Uh, they got on a hot streak uh, for a month or more, clawed their way back into it. Texas had a bunch of injuries, uh, and they failed, and the Mariners succeeded at that time and brought them back together. Now Texas is loaded up and healthy again, so um, I'm going to go two back into it. But, yeah, it was tough. I mean, this series, I mean, the M's went over down in Texas this year, didn't win a game outscored 45 26 uh in the series down in texas we talked about on the previous podcast on the preview of the texas rangers you cannot let Corey seager beat um he did have a good series he didn't absolutely dominate but the uh, rest of his castmates sure helped out and contributed so uh, and then the the biggest thing we beat our fist on the table for was is we got a hit 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 and keep up with them and that didn't happen. Yeah, he he didn't absolutely dominate that every time Seager I'm talking about every time he was at the plate. But when he did decide to make you pay, you know, he saw a couple home runs. You saw Marcus Simeon. There's another guy that you know if we want to go in the way back machine. Um, post uh off season prior to this off season he was one of those guys that we were hoping to see here in the mariners you don't every time we play them he seems to make us pay just like when he was on the oakland a's he's a good second baseman uh, you look at Corey seager probably runner up to otani for mvp and yeah uh Garcia, always a Mariner killer. This last game here, they hit six home runs. In the first game of the series, they brought out the offense. Game two, if there was any of these games that I go, gosh, I wish the Mariners could have uh, really springboarded off of the good start by Logan Gilbert and the work that the bullpen was doing. That was the game. Fortunately, they couldn't move a runner past second base in that game. Very frustrating to see in that game. I know they hit the ball hard. I know people online are talking about that. I know they're going to, uh, you know, spoon feed you that with the broadcast. But bottom line is, you got to find a way to get guys past second base. Yeah, I mean, and they got some from their rookies and their guys that you would call their up and coming core, maybe or something like that. You know, the center fielder Tavares and Carter, who was recently called up. He, they both had some home runs in the series, including a couple. Of, from each of them in uh, game three. But, yeah, that first game, uh, Miller was not sharp. You didn't get on – you didn't get a hit till the fifth inning. Um, and then you you go to your pen, and then right out of the pen, uh, Sacito, he doesn't hold it down. He gives up a couple, and that ends up costing you because you start getting going late, and it was too little too late. But he didn't hold them down, and uh, um, those extra couple runs – that were added on by Texas against our bullpen um, were the difference. And when you have those kind of blowout games, you need the bullpen to come in and shut them down. Every other bullpen guy did in that first game, but unfortunately Sauce just didn't have his stuff. And uh, it, it was it was bad luck. It was, you know, a lot of things just were unfortunate. You know, the things that you count on starting pitching. Sure, Texas had their one, two, three guys starting. As far as the rotation, we had three, four, four five and two of them are rookies so it's just the way it goes and uh yeah so that's kind of how i saw for the game one and you mentioned in game two a lot of clutch hits then either as well huh nope yeah just going to game one the mariners were using that recipe for success that they've used under 10 strikeouts they only struck out seven times but they walked six times and they had people on 
base, uh, even in that inning that they did make the charge after the Cal Raleigh three run home run, you still left the bases loaded in that situation. Um, and when you look over at Texas, they have had a historic fallout with their bullpen. And in this game, you only mustered up one run and it was a, Anywhere, I'm pretty sure Bruce Bochy in the ninth told Chapman to go out there and throw strikes. Uh, we did bring up the tie and run in the plate in that game. Hopefully, we're looking at something like that to build off of the way the offense was starting to pick things up there in game one. And going into game two, yeah, they hit the ball hard. The, the thing, though, that I just didn't understand was why the Mariners weren't trying to get this pitch count up and get Montgomery out of there and get into the bullpen. Cause that seemed to be the game plan uh, that didn't happen in game two, uh, a lot of early swings, but you look over there again, uh, we can't blame everything on the swings and misses in this series because uh, even on Saturday, their home run, to I mean, not their home run total. There was no home runs, but their strikeout total in this game was also under 10. It was at eight. So again, you're sitting there going, we're not getting the swings and misses. And I know in the post game, they showed every one of these games, like if this would have happened and this would have happened an inch here, an inch there, this game too, you had Dylan Moore hit the ball off the top of the wall, ended up stranding him though, there on second base when that didn't turn out to be a home run. And that was pretty much the story of the game there. You know, Logan gives up two runs on not very hard hit balls. Brash was clean. Topo was clean. That was a tough, that was just a tough one because after the night prior, you were starting to see the offense heat back up. The offense that we saw in Oakland uh, going into the series, you thought was going to carry over into Saturday. And unfortunately, just they did not get those breaks, but still, you got to find a way to move people over, play some small ball, do something, take some pitches, get some base runners on. In this game, as far as the walks, they had three walks which is half as many as the night before. But also let's hand it to Montgomery was in or around and in the zone and around the plate versus Friday night, where I think the, we not think we know the Mariners were chasing outside the zone. Yeah. I mean, this was kind of a different series for me. I don't look at the strikeouts and the walks so much. I mean, you mentioned the f six walks in game one. Well, four of them were from Kelnick. Uh, the strikeouts. Yeah, they were down and that's good, but, uh, I mean, Scott talked about it, and even you and I talked about it throughout uh, talking back and forth during the game. They weren't striking out, and they didn't have their good approach because a lot of the times they were swinging at bad pitches early or swinging at the first pitch. So those stats, to me, yeah, they're good, but they also can be somewhat uh, misleading in a, in a sense. But it was just a tough approach, and sometimes the stats benefit with you with what you're seeing or what you think, and sometimes it like I said, it can be just a little misleading. Well, sure, it can be misleading not having the strikes because you're not taking those deep counts. So obviously you're right. In game two, them not having the, the big strikeout totals we're used to is also showing a little bit of impatient or maybe a little bit over-aggressive when you're in a, uh, a low-scoring game right there. You want to get somebody on. You might have to get into account deep and see what you can do. And it just didn't seem like that was happening in that game. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that was seems to be the whole focus with Scott every day after his uh, after the game and his post game uh, remarks, just saying that the approach wasn't there. They weren't patient, and uh, so 
it just that was the storyline it sounds like uh coming from the managerial perspective this whole series yeah and then you look at you look at game three here a couple big moments in this game uh early on in the game uh when the mariners were getting on the board we saw another uh, runner get nailed at the plate. Surprised to see it was Jerry Kelnick, and even more surprised to see it was that bad where he was dead to rights. There was no slide. There was nothing. Uh, definitely a momentum uh, stopper right there in the game, especially when you're trying to get to the bullpen and drive up the starters' um, pitch count, just like we talked about. And also, you never want to make the – Last out or the first out at home play. Didn't we learn that in Little League? But it happens right here. Yeah, to me, it was nothing on Jared Kelnick. It was a hard hit ball. Uh, it had nothing to do with his jump, in my opinion. Hard hit ball to center field. Uh, Traveris came up with it before Jared Kelnick even reached third. You bring up Little League and coaching. Never send the guy. <laughs> uh, third base by the time the guy... Uh, fields the ball and he was also in shallow center field and he made a strike and it was just it just killed me I haven't had that rage since you know a few years ago when Tom Murphy was dropping all those balls at the plate I mean it's just been ridiculous how many times <laughs> Manny Act uh, has gotten guys canned at the plate that was awful and I'm starting to get my blood starting to boil again right now just thinking about it I, it was such a bonehead decision and like you mentioned it killed the momentum you are getting worked up if you're watching here on the video. You're, you're, if your face is getting nice and flush and just and coloring up, yeah, it it was it was it was uh, very apropos that Ty France was somehow involved in it this time, but he wasn't the guy going to the plate. It was Kelnick at the time when I was listening to it. I was coming back from the store and I was wondering why he got nailed. Got the text from you. Went back, watched the play. You were right. There, there was. Absolutely. There's nobody in baseball that's making it to home plate right there. I don't think Ellie De La Cruz gets in right there. Jared Kellick did not even reach the dirt before the ball was in his glove. I mean, it was a terrible send. I mean, he, Manny, Manny has had at least a dozen or so guys get hosed at the plate. Sure, I can take a guy on a bang-bang play getting out or safe. You can take that. Um, there's been some frustration ones with Ty France. You can blame that on his speed, but something sometimes Manny has to be accountable because he's the one sending him. Not all the times we see if guys run through the stop sign or not, so that can be the case too. But more times than not, it's on the third base coach, including Manny Acta, of sending these guys foolishly and getting guys hosed when it's not even a close play. It's a problem this year. We've noticed it time and time again. I would say it's even a bigger problem in general with the base running. That's kind of been one of our themes that has come back through a through line throughout the season with us, whether it's even a thing like on Friday where Julio takes off to third base with the ball to the right side of the shortstop again, getting thrown out there. Sure, the next two guys grounded out, but you don't know what the situations are going to be like. It's definitely a momentum killer. And that was a game that, hey, we never even got a guy to third base uh, we've seen a lot of pickoffs, which we can either we can't blame those on the on the uh, base coach per se. But as far as the getting gunned at home plate, I can't remember a year that we've seen this many or 
is it something that I'm just noticing more because there's so many, there's so big stakes right now. Um, and again, I understand every play gets magnified, but I will agree with you as much as I like Manny. That was a bad, bad sin. Yeah. You'd think it had been addressed after the, you know, handful of times that it happened, but it was just a really bad sin. And I, I understand too, where you're trying to force them to make a play, but the guy, is known and scouting Porter is out. He has a cannon. He was in short, yeah. you know, center field. And like I said, Kelnick wasn't even a third yet. I mean, it was just bad all the way around. In that situation, Ty France is hitting eighth in the lineup in this game three. So the next guy is Rojas. I'm not, this isn't a deadly Rojas hitting at nine, but let's just say he gets on or moves him over or knocks them in, we're back up to the top of the lineup, and you've seen the way that JP's been swinging the bat lately. That's what else kind of compounded onto this that hurt me, because you know it comes after JP as well. So that, to me, was hurt, and it was early. And then you saw Texas come back, take a big commanding lead after that. Another one of these, there's nothing we can do about it. Julio goes back on a ball, tough ball. Got to the ball, ball bounces off what the inside of his glove bounces over the wall for a home run. Um, he either catches that ball, and if he doesn't catch that ball and it bounces off the wall, it's not going out of the park. It definitely got volleyballed over the fence. Uh, I mean, that's just uh, something that's unfortunate when you're playing hard, but it was one of those. Oh my god, I mean, that just kind of summed up what was going on here in the series. Yeah, just tough break after tough break. Just things weren't going your way. Um, that one was tough. Yeah, the, the ball kind of seemed like it was a little behind Julio a little bit, and he reached up for it, and it went off his glove and over. That was that was a tough one to swallow. But I remember, I think it was last year, um, the same thing happened in the Mariners' favor in left field. I don't remember the team. If it was like the Braves or one of those teams, I'm sure somebody will remember. But uh, same kind of scenario happened where it went off the opposing player's glove and benefited the Mariners. It's just surprising that it happened at that moment and it happened to Julio. But if it happened to Julio, it can happen to anybody. But, yeah, really, really tough situation there. Yeah, that's like one of those things where you're going, wow, you're playing so hard and you're doing the right thing and that happens versus going, I'm not going to go slam up against the ball, slam up against the wall, let the thing carry them off. You hold them to a double. Um, it is what it is. Um, but one thing I did want to point out too in this game three that, you know, we're going into these, we're going into these games and every decision is going to be, looked at whether it's Manny sending somebody or it's, you know, Scott service filling out the lineup card or what sort of substitutions he makes, you know, in game one, Saucedo right away, you could tell just was out of sorts, uh, wild, nowhere around the zone. Um, in this game, he goes to Bizarro after the Mariners seemingly seemed like they're crawled themselves back into this game. Very close. Seemed like we had the, momentum we're into their bullpen now it feels like mariners are gonna get right back up there and maybe play some add-on and he goes to bizarro after he had went to spire the inning before i was actually a little bit shocked about that i thought maybe we would go to you know our bread and butter brash munoz topa right here in this area really going 
for the win and to come back with some momentum. I was wondering why Brash didn't get up uh, or go, sorry, go into this game in this situation. Um, they ended up having him up in the ninth if the Mariners were going to catch up. Uh, I don't know if he talked about that in the press conference or not, but I thought that was a little bit of a strange uh, decision. Bizardo obviously gives up the two-run home run. Mariners dig themselves a bigger hole. They claw themselves back into it. But uh, what did you think about that, having him in there in the seventh? Well, I kind of look at it as this. The score was 7-2 to two at the time. You understand why they're going to go to one of their guys in the bullpen that's not one of their leverage guys or even one of their top guys. Uh, trying to save the bullpen, you know, play for another day, play for the next series. So it made sense. But on the other hand, you also have to look at it as, okay, we've come back in game one um, and we still got a chance to, w- to win these games. We're facing a Texas bullpen that is known to blow games and blow leads. But it just seemed like they were trying to stretch him and give him another extra inning out of him, and that happens. And then to look at it, you know, after the fact – for you to claw back and uh, not put someone in there that's more of a shutdown guy and for you to claw back and then, you know, reach within one run at one point, you know, and bring the tying run of the plate in the ninth. Yeah. You, you look back and you're kind of frustrated. So I see why he did what he did, but I can also see the other side of it is like, dude, we're, we're, uh, we, we know these scenarios where the Mariners can come back and how, just god awful texas's bullpen is yeah i and i i 100% understand why you have them in there the inning before but then when you go and you claw yourself back into two runs down and we got three more frames of baseball to play and it seems like our offense is clicking a bit you know we're even leaving guys out there because we didn't get these parties started until the till we had two outs uh, but at that point, I felt like the Mariners had a grasp on the game. And so that two-run home run, you know, which was the capper. Uh, the Mariners never got to nine runs. Um, and then the next inning, you see them bring out Munoz and bring out Topa. So I don't know. I don't know if anybody asked him at the press conference about that, but that would have been something I, I would have asked. No, you're Especially right. Especially the second inning. You're right. Exactly right. I um the M's added three on in that sixth inning and brought him back out. You're right. So that you would think that the uh, mindset would totally change yet because the gap um, changed, you know, from seven to seven or from seven to two to seven to five. You're absolutely right. I forgot that they had scored those three innings. Yeah. To bring him out in that second inning is, does not make sense. No, I'm sure they have some sort of analytics that said it was going to work out. But you and I both know, or you got somebody that you haven't used all year like that. They go and you're putting them in in garbage time. Now we claw ourselves back in. We got the momentum and we're still having them out there. Just, I just didn't feel like that was the choice to go out and get a shutdown inning because that's what seemed to be the most important thing to do right after you have a big offensive inning and your offense is going and now they're sending in the parade of their uh, shaky bullpen. It just kind of blew my mind. I, I listened to a little bit of the press conference, but we're recording here, you know, really shortly after the game. So, I mean, these are the kinds of things that, uh, are going to be looked at right now. You, you look at Scott Service, even on a man, managerial, uh, from a managerial point of view, 
he's managing against Bruce Bochy and Dusty Baker this week. Both are Hall of Fame managers. Both are world champions. Bochy's a multiple-time world champion. Uh, I thought Bochy's, um, the way he managed game two, along with the Mariners not driving up the pitch count, uh, we looked at the lineup. None of our lefties, some of our lefties that have been, you know, contributing quite a bit this week. Canzone, uh, Kelnick. Um, we hadn't seen Ford yet. Uh, there was never any chances for these big left-handed spots because of the way Bochi managed to manipulate that. We They always had a tough lefty ready to go. Uh, we saw a little bit of cat and mouse with the substitutions in, in game two as well. So he seemed to pull all the right punches, but you know, Bochi's had a rough time here with his bullpen and it had a big collapse, but just the way that he's gotten his team to kind of turn it around and level out right now, um, where you haven't seen the Mariners been able to really surface themselves back up again, we're sitting at eight and 14 and this can all change tomorrow or today. I should say this all could change today. And I, and I hope it does, but any indicator right now, uh, I don't feel like the Mariners, yes, they're not playing their best baseball, but I also feel like some of the decision-making is not at its highest peak form, and that all could be circumstantial. Uh, players are banged up. It's been a long season. Um, I do have to credit Scott Service's decision to you know, stick with Ty France's series. We saw him turn it around a bit. Hopefully he can – really figure it all together this last week. Um, anything you got to say about that? Well, the thing with me about Bochi and, and, uh, and Scott service, and you're talking about the cat and mouse. I mean, I didn't catch game two, uh, but um, to me as a opposing manager, and if I put myself in Bruce Bochi's shoes, the Mariners are super predictable. We watch them all the time. Uh, um we know that they're always going to go with a matchup. If it's a righty pitcher on the mound, they're going to go with a lefty and vice versa. And same with their lineups. I mean, that game two lineup, you know, with your end of the lineup guys, all all of whom are bench players or, you know, late inning contributors. Um, and that's because you have the lefty on the mound and then, you know, they make a decision throughout the game, the opposing team, and then, you know, you flip-flop it around, and then all three of those guys who you had started are speed guys and guys that can help you pinch run after, you know, late in the game. So, I mean, yeah, it's just it, – Mariners are predictable. I mean, I was almost surprised today in game three that uh, they didn't pitch in for Kalnick. I think it was like in the sixth or seventh inning because that's what they have been doing. It was nice to see them – leave him in and I believe he, that was the hit where he laced into a left center field for the double um or was it a single I don't remember but anyway um you would have thought he might have gone to the righty there but yeah they're just so predictable in their righty lefty matchup sometimes it would just be nice I get they play that you know thing and with the numbers but sometimes it'd be nice if they just went with their gut because I mean we all know that statistically Jared Kelnick hits lefties pretty good so that's just yeah, my two all cents season. on it all season i mean if you remember to the beginning of the season he was meant to be a platoon player but because of the way he was hitting 
hot. He got to stay in the lineup against left-handers and proved himself that he could hit left-handers. But I will say this about Jared Kelnick. If this is any, any indicator of what we've seen in this series, and even I, I'll even say this week, because I thought he played really good in Oakland. In fact, we dedicated quite a bit of the show to um, him and Canzone uh, turning it around last week. And if this is the kind of Kelnick we're going to get this week, I couldn't be happier. I'm pulling up the stat right now. He hit 400 in this series. He had two RBIs. He had six walks to one strikeout. And yeah, you know what kind of, of defense he always brings. Yeah, and it, didn't he at one point have five of those walks in a row? He's under control. He's seeing the ball. He's seeing the zone. He's doing what we've seen is successful for this team. You look at both of these rallies, uh, especially this one in game three, there's a lot of deep counts, you know, and, and all this with two strikes, a lot, not with two strikes, but with two outs, still being able to see a few pitches being selective, you know, and then it kind of stops where I feel like what Jared is doing is similar to what like JP does up at the plate. Yeah. And you're exactly right. I agree with all your takes. Yeah, he's been patient. He's seen the zone very well. And what, what happens then? You get yourself in better counts and you see better pitches to hit and be more selective is just part of the process. And, yeah, since he's come back, I agree. He looks way more relaxed in the last few series. Um, he looks confident and he feels like, you know, you feel like he's – I'm watching his reaction, how he takes the ball as well. You're noticing that as the ball's pitch, he's recognizing right away and he's like, ball. And he's, you can, even before it crosses the plate, he's making that decision. So that's really key to see and it's ex exciting. We're going to need him. I like him up uh, in the fifth spot, sp splitting between um, Teo and Gino. I like kind of, that helps out also when, you know, the Mariners like to pinch hit or they bring in relievers and, and they don't have a bunch of righties or lefties stacked up there. So it's, a better opportunity for the opposing pitcher. But yeah, he looks pretty good. I would have liked to see him. You mentioned Canzone. Uh, what did he, he played in the first game and then just pinch hit in the third game. And I'd like to see a little bit more of him. I just want our best players out there, you know, screw the numbers and the matchups. Let's just get our best players out there. It's that's just how I feel right now. That's how I feel too. <laughs> that is how I feel. If, if if there's a situation where they're like, look, this guy is 0 for 35 against him. Okay, I get it. We'll, we'll, we'll get him in the game when we need to get him in the game. Outside of that, I don't think you have any other choice but to play the best players. I know you got to keep some people in reserve for pinch hitting situations, but look at Canzone. The last game in Oakland gets four RBIs. I believe he gets an RBI um, hit in game one we don't see him at all in game two we see him here in game three and look he hadn't been out there after he'd been hot he gets up there and he makes to me a rookie mistake and swings at the first pitch and pops it up there after the mariners had seemingly had some success there being patient but that's going to happen gets up there in the ninth first baseman makes a good play on the ball he's hitting the ball good and He's got himself back on track. I'd love to see the lineup with him and Kelnick in it. Um, I did like the way 
the game three's lineup was laid out there. I did like seeing Ty France sit, hitting down an eighth. And I think when the lower he hits, I think is is better for this team, because if he gets it going, we need something to happen down there at the end of that lineup. Yeah, you mentioned he had a pretty decent series. Sure, he didn't come across in the in the clutch at some points, but not everybody does. Neither did Kalnick, who he just hyped up there in the last inning, you know, of game three. But yeah, it seems like they're batting him eighth when they're facing righties, and they moved him up in game two when they were facing a lefty, and it's the same thing like we just talked about, matchups, righty versus lefty and all that stuff. So, yeah, uh, a little bit more Canzone. I mean, to me, I mean, even though today Sam Haggerty pinch hit for, um, who was it, Mike Ford uh, at the DH position, I was questioning that. I'm just thinking, you know, Sam Haggerty hasn't been on the club at all for very long this whole year he's a triple a guy who's been down there most of the season and he's our first right-hander pinch hitter um off the bench yeah he came through uh in a nice one down the line at ricocheted kind of funny off the uh the wall down the line and he was able to you know drive in a run and get a triple out of it but it's just you know it's one of those things where it's just you know roster construction our bench guys uh, is nothing we can do about it now. I'm just kind of venting a little bit, you know, about the way things are, the way, you know, the, the trade deadline went, the way the offseason went. But, uh, yeah, he came through. And, I get, I mean, it's, I'm just, you know, crying over spilled milk. But just just one of those things. And when you have a tough series, everything, like you mentioned, is magnified. And you're just a little bit more frustrated with different things. Even when they do come through, you get a little frustrated. That's how it's been, you know. I mean, at the end of the day, we're a half game out of the playoffs with, with a week exactly. left to play. If you were looking back at this in June and early July, you'd take it. If you're looking at the way that they were playing at the end of August, you're really disappointed and you're frustrated that the only series we can win are against the Angels and the A's this month. Nonetheless, Mariners Twitter is going to go crazy. Uh, Mariners Facebook groups are going to go crazy. So 